So I don't know if you remember the last time we preached that text, Rick preached it. I thought it was a year ago. He's telling me it's probably more like three years ago. Uh, it's probably a psalm we've preached more times here at Trinity than any other psalm. Uh, I literally think we could preach it every summer and would love to do that. Uh, problem is there's 150 psalms, and we've only gotten to about 50 of them. But uh, we go back to it this morning. Before we dive into the text, um, I do need to just... Uh, announce to us, uh, we have three openings on the medical team. We've had some recent moves, um, and so if you have medical training, can you see Todd Musoff? He's back here on that back, back corner, um, and you, you may not know this, but we always have medical staff um, available on a Sunday morning if there was an incident, and so you don't need to be a doctor, but you do need to have some medical training. And if you have questions about that, see Todd. We need three people, and uh, thank you for your help on that. So, Psalm 16. To, to, to kick things off this morning, I want to remind us of our series. We're in a series in the Psalms. Summer Psalms isn't something that we just kind of do. Um, these are not token sermons or token weeks at Trinity. Intentionally, we find ourselves here um, because I, I do think as a church, we need to spend some time in the Psalms of presence. Here's the challenge. We're, we're halfway through our series. And I'm pastorally, I'm kind of like, ah, it, we need more weeks. Um, I'm not sure if we're getting across to us, and, and, and it was landing on our, our hearts, um, because the presence of God is something that is easily neglected, um, overly familiar, often overlooked, and yet it's the glory of glories in the life of a believer. That's why Psalm 16 is just so good. Here's an example of what I just said, easily neglected, often uh, uh, overly familiar, often overlooked. As an example, last week, Christian mentioned in his sermon, in passing, that God is transcendent and God is imminent. And I wonder if that didn't just pass right by us. I myself didn't fall on my face with the thought of that. God is transcendent. God is imminent. Are we aware of the glory that's being referred to when we say God is transcendent, God is imminent? To say that God is transcendent is to say God is beyond us. It is to say that he is superior, he is supreme. It's Paul to, to the Colossians, Christ is the preeminent one. It is, it is to say that God is not like us. It is that he is other, he is beyond us, he is holy, he is perfect in every way. He is without limits. He always was, he always will be. He is not created. He is perfect in his righteousness. He knows nothing, not a moment in his eternal existence has he known anything of his sin. He is Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. 
how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? It's, it's transcendence is what's being spoken of. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. He's transcendent, church. That in itself is awesome in glory. That in itself demands a response from our hearts. It it demands our worship of him. But that's not all. He's not only transcendent. He's imminent. He's imminent, which means this awesome, glorious, transcendent God who is beyond us, who is other, who is creator, is near to us, the sinner. He's present. He's near. And this should both lay us low in awesome wonder and glory and silence our lips, and it should at the same time causes conflict to stand up and raise our hands and be praise be to God, shouting to him, thanksgiving in joy and in awe. He's a transcendent God who is near to you. We could make a case that the entire Bible is about the nearness of God. That the preeminent, the transcendent God is drawing near to sinful man. Isaiah 57 puts it like this, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, transcendence, who inhabits eternity, transcendence, whose name is holy, transcendence, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite imminent, near. Psalm 139, you hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I can't attain it. Transcendent. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If you make my bed and shoal, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me imminent, near. Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call on him. Matthew 1, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Praise be to God. So here's my pastoral concern for us this morning. Just another psalm, just another Sunday, just another series. This is not just another God that we speak of. This is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords, we sang. He is the transcendent one who's infinitely beyond us, completely other, who came, took on human flesh, to then live among us, to then die, resurrect, ascend to the Father, send us his spirit to now live in us. Praise be to God, 
the transcendent one who's completely other lives in you if you are a genuine follower of Christ this morning. Just awesome. This is your God. You have the very presence of the living God living in you. He's transcendent. He's imminent. He's beyond us. He's near us. Transcendent and imminent is who he is. And we need to know him as he is, okay? We don't need a character of who he is or who we think he is or who we want him to be or who we create him to be. We don't need any of that. We need him as he is, as he is. Let's pray and we'll dive in. Father God, we pause to pray. We pause to stop and consider how great our need is of you, for you. Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you this morning as we preach through your word. Lord, we need you to quicken our hearts. We, we need you to, to, to wake up our soul. Where we are dull, wake up our soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Lord, help us. We need you. By your spirit, be at work in our hearts today, Lord. Building your church, strengthening your church. Lord, help us to consider what is so familiar, what is often overlooked, what is stunning in its glory. We have your presence within us. Lord, would you help us? Bless the preaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Number one, presence means refuge and provision. Presence means some things in Psalm 16, in Scripture. Presence means some things. Presence is, is it's more than a nice word. It's, it's more than a sentiment. Okay? Presence has teeth. It's got teeth. It's got, it's got a bite to it. It, it. it matters that you have the Lord's very presence for those who are genuinely repenting, repentant of their sin, trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You are truly a Christian that you have the presence of the Lord matters. It means something and it means things very practical in our lives. And that is in part what David is doing here in Psalm 16. He's showing us the difference the presence of the Lord makes in our lives, that it matters. He says in verse one, preserve me, O God. He begins in this prayer, this cry, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So he begins with this preserve me or some of your versions translate it. What? Keep me, keep me. This keep me is the same Hebrew words that is used when God instructs Adam in the garden to, to what? To keep the garden. It is, it, is the, it is this idea of to preserve the garden. Here's your job, Adam. Preserve it. Keep it. Watch over it. Take care of it. Tend to it. Adam failed to keep the garden. Same word is used here by David when he prays, keep me, preserve me, watch over me, tend to me, preserve me. 
we know that the Old Testament is a pointer. It's pointing us to Christ. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. This psalm is no different. It's pointing to Christ. Christ is coming. Christ as the second Adam did not, will not fail to keep you, to preserve you. He will not fail. He keeps you. He preserves you faithfully, perfectly. John 6, Jesus speaking, says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. That's you, believer. So right out of the gate here in Psalm 16, we have this psalm, and it's got its, its finger pointing to Jesus. As David cries out, preserve me, the cross cries back, I will. <laughs> I will preserve you. And it cries over you, I will preserve you. I will keep you, tend to you. I will be faithful. Presence here, verse one, presence means refuge. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Believer, there is no better news that I can deliver to you this morning than God's presence means something in your life. What does it mean? Well, one of the things we see is it means refuge. You have the presence of God, which means you have a refuge in days of difficulty. Refuge doesn't mean anything if there is no difficulty around you, right? Like he doesn't even mention the difficulty, but just know when the psalmist cries out for the, the Lord is my refuge, that's because there's enemies. <laughs> that's because there's trouble. There's difficulty surrounding him. That's the same for our life, right? So the Lord is our refuge. That's the Lord's presence to the believer. Refuge matters because there's trouble in this world. And there's a reason why David is often speaking of God being his refuge. And we would do well to learn from this man who found a refuge of sorts in the caves as he ran and hid for his life. And yet in the cave, what does he do? Lord, you're my refuge. This, this cave will not protect me. This cave is not my hope. But I'm to find refuge in you, Lord. You are my God. It's like the infant, right? It's like the infant sometimes on Sunday mornings. Daisy May's not here this morning, but I like to say hi to Daisy May. And Daisy May's not too sure about Tim yet, you know? And so what does she do? She buries her head into Maggie, her mom. She turns away from the stranger, 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 right? And she buries her head into mom, into her shoulder. The child grabs onto dad's leg, kind of head behind the leg, right? What is that? That's refuge. Not sure of my footing here. It's a six-year-old who hurts himself. What do they do? Run home, seek the presence of those who provide care and protection. What? Those 
who preserve me. That's where they go running. That's where the child runs. Like the pandemic, uh, pandemic proved, we're not wired for lockdown. We're not, we're not wired for distancing. It's not how God made us. We're wired for presence. Even the presence of each other. The world cried out for presence for each other. Here the psalmist knows not to find simply a refuge in the presence of another, but in the one, in God himself. He says in verse two, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. You're my Lord. I just want to ask you this morning, is he your Lord? Lord, master. Is he the Lord of your life, the one that you run to, like it's being described here? Is he Lord over all that's going on in you and around you? Is he Lord? If so, then you can join your voice with David and say, I have no good apart from you, my Lord. No good. Now, that's a bold statement. Is David overstating? I'm thoroughly convinced that this is truth, that you and I, we have no good apart from the Lord. Now, it's not that those who don't have the Lord and don't want the Lord, it's not that good things don't happen to them. Uh, The world would call it karma. We would call it common grace. The Lord is just pouring out his common grace to believers and unbelievers. And it's all around us. But friends, outside of God, you can have everything. All things that this world would call good, you can have everything and still have no good thing. No good thing. Because all things without God are no things. They are nothing. They are worthless. It is what what when we preached through the book of Ecclesiastes a few years back. It's called Hevel. It's chasing after the wind. It's trying to catch wind. <laughs> Why does the guy who has everything, right? Worldly speaking, has everything. Why, why does the guy, why does that guy find himself strung out on drugs or drink? Why does, why does the guy who's got everything, why is suicide a thing? Even when knowing that that drug is completely hopeless and that drunkenness has never solved anything and just wake up the next day and the same problems greet. Greet me in the morning. Why, why the worthless things? Why chase yet another attempt to find some greater sexual experience which has only left you with prior empty experience? None of it erases the pain. If anything, we could say it only increases the pain. And so there are no good things apart from the Lord. He says, verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion, my cup. You hold my lot. 
The Lord is my portion, my cup, meaning, meaning the Lord is my supply. It's in the Lord that my portion, my supply will never run dry. I, I choose you, Lord, is, 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 is what he's saying. The Lord is my chosen portion. I, I choose you, Lord. I, I long for you. There's nothing better in this life than you, Lord. God, you are my supreme treasure in life. You're my portion. This is David saying, the Lord himself is my delight, my treasure, who I long for, my portion. It is Psalm 63 that says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. What a portion, church, you have in Christ. What a portion you've been given in Christ. Maybe that reminds you when you hear that, just that idea of portion and cup. It reminds you of another psalm. Psalm 23. A lot of you know it well. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Pause and just consider. Like that's just beautiful in itself. Like in the presence of my enemies, what does the Lord find himself doing? Like what a peaceful picture. Presence of my enemies, the Lord is setting a table. And he says, you anoint my head with oil. And what? My cup overflows. That's you, follower of Christ. Presence means something. He says, verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Here, the portion of the Lord is being described as these boundary lines, these property lines. Land is a key theme we've talked about before throughout the Old Testament. And here, it's no different. Land would be, would be passed along, Right? To, to family members as an inheritance. And that land is a place of provision. It's a place of safety. It's a place of even identity. It is, it is where the family gathers. It is, it is social standing. And you work the land. And as you work the land, the land would provide for you. It would give you food. It would, it would sustain you. It was life to you. So it was reputation and identity. And David is here saying, the inheritance I have in you, these boundary lines that have fallen to me, well, they've fallen in pleasant places. How true to the follower of Christ gathered this morning that we would all be able to say, you know what, Lord, your boundary lines... They've fallen on pleasant places for me. And inheritance, it grows in Scripture. It grows from something in the Old Testament. It's, it's, a, it's a what? It's a piece of property. It's a land. It grows into the New Testament into a who? A person. A Savior. Jesus Christ. Property line, lines were celebrated in the Old Testament as identity and source. They're still celebrated today with identity and source. Not in the what, but in the who, the person of Christ. 
You have an identity. You are in Christ. Consider and celebrate this morning that the boundary lines have fallen in your life in pleasant places. If you are in Christ, you belong to him. Consider your boundary lines. Say, oh, I've got so many problems, though. Oh, consider your boundary lines. They have fallen in pleasant places for you. Paul to the Galatians says it like this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Pleasant boundary lines have fallen in our lives. You have Christ. That's the difference. That's the teeth. That's the difference that presence makes. Don't neglect what is yours. Provided to you by the death of Christ on the cross, presence means something. You have the very Lord's presence, which is to say, verse 5. Let's move forward. Presence means counsel. Verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord Always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Where does that counsel from the Lord come from? Are you able to say, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel? What does that mean? Where do we go to get counsel from the Lord? And how do we keep this from just being kind of a nice, churchy, religious-y Thing to say. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Counsel from the Lord is from his word. You have the counsel of the Lord available to you. His word is not something sometimes folks say, you know, I'm going through a lot of stuff. Maybe I'll just, you know, kind of try. I'll try the Bible. The, the Bible isn't something you try. So the Bible is something that you come to and put yourself under and say, Lord, I need counsel from you. There'd be anybody here this morning that'd be saying, I need the counsel of the Lord. Where am I going to find that? Praise be to God. This has been preserved for us throughout the ages. You have the counsel of the Lord. You have, it's been given to you. Um, um, Grateful for counselors. Grateful that you can go and sit with a friend and, and, and hear from them. And I would encourage you, challenge your friends and challenge your own heart when you're giving counsel and when you're hearing counsel. Speak the word to me. I need the word. I don't need your opinions. I don't need your preferences. I need Bible. I need God's counsel. His word is not something we try. His word is something we live in. Store up the counsel of the word in your heart. We don't simply call upon the Lord when in trouble. We certainly do. We, we do do that. 
but we store it up. When things are good, when things are going easy, when things are simple, we're, we're in his word because there will be a day when trials come. And at that point, we need the counsel of the Lord at work in our hearts. And that doesn't happen overnight, does it? It's a, it's a lifetime of spending, spending our lives daily in his word so that you have years and years and years. Mom, dad, you're, you're before the Lord, receiving the counsel of the Lord for a lifetime. Teens, spend time in God's word. Do it daily. Spend time here. He says, he says I've set the Lord always before me. And that's just, what a, what a beautiful picture. I'm gonna set the Lord. It, it's something we literally can wake up and just, Lord, I'm setting you before me. In the face of temptation, set the Lord before me. I will not be shaken, he says. That's the difference that the presence of the Lord makes. I will, I will not be shaken because I have the presence of the Lord. He's saying, I'm not going to wobble. I set you before me in my struggles. Anybody here with fear? Got any fear going on? Got any fear about the world in which we live? Got any fear about what's coming down in the future? Um, any, anybody here got any doubts? Wobble, wobble. <laughs> I will not wobble. I will not be shaken. Because the Lord, he, he's preserving me. He will hold me fast. You're my source, you're my rock, you're my refuge. And because you are, verse number nine, my heart is made glad. That's the, that's the fruit of the presence of the Lord. Presence means joy, forever joy. This is not a momentary joy this, um, that he speaks of. It, it certainly is that, but it's more than that. It is joy now and it is joy forever. It's forever joy. Circumstances can be really difficult, and yet there can be a sense of joy. I belong to the Lord. His boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. He is preserving me. I'm going to run to him as my refuge. Things are difficult right now, but praise be to God for who I have in Christ Jesus and that inheritance. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad. Therefore my heart is glad. That's the response. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Therefore, he's saying, therefore, because of this, this, because of what? Because of the Lord's presence, what? Joy. Thanks be to God, joy. 
The whole being here is rejoicing. Why? Because verse 11, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Is this not the Psalm of Psalms? <laughs> is it not the joy that is on the lips of every person who says, I am Christian. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. The boundary lines have fallen. And they've fallen in pleasant places in my life. Perhaps that's why both Peter and Paul quote these verses. Let's look at Peter's quoting of it. And I'm going to read it at length because I think it's important that we get a sense of the context of what Peter's doing. But this is the day of Pentecost. And the people have been filled with the Spirit. And folks have gathered and they're saying, these guys are drunk. And Peter has gotten up and he's begun to address the crowd. And so in verse 21, it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. He rose from the grave. Loosing the pangs of death. But it was not possible for him to be held by it. Then he quotes David. For David says concerning him, like a prophet, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. End quote. Then he goes on. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. You hear what he's doing? He's saying, okay, but as far as that guy that I'm quoting, he died. <laughs> he's in the grave. And his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke. He foresaw. Old Testament's looking to Jesus, pointing to Jesus. And what does the Old Testament point to? And what is he seeing? And what is he speaking to? He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. You've got the presence of God, is what Peter is saying. Yes. Quoting from David to say, yeah, and that guy who prophetically foresaw that, he died. 
But what he was seeing was the one who would take the throne, who would die, who would resurrect from the grave, who ascended to the Father, who then gave us his spirit. That's the context of what Peter is doing and saying there in Acts chapter 2. David is in the grave. That king died. David seeing to the future. That to a king who will rise from the grave, verse 31. And Peter preaches this in the context of that day of Pentecost as the Holy Spirit filled the believers, what? With his very own presence. Oh, Lord, help us not to be so overly familiar, not to be neglecting of such glory that the imminent, that the the, uh, transcendent God is imminent, that the one who is beyond us, the one who, who... who is so unlike us, is in us, near to us. Glory be to God because of the life, death, resurrection, ascension, sending of the Spirit by our Savior. Back to Psalm 16. Are you afraid? Chase those fears to Jesus. Run those fears into the arms of Christ. Bury your head like the child into the arms of Jesus. Your king is not in the grave. He is risen. Are you afraid of what the world looks like? It's tempting. I get it. I remember when Kim and I were young and we were starting a family and we had this fear of bringing children into this world. Now, yeah, We have young families in the room bringing children to, we know that fear. We know that fear. Yes, you know what? Our world is unhinged. We should not be surprised. We, we, well, Peter in in his letter tells us, don't be surprised. (laughs) Why am I surprised? And the word tells me not to be surprised. We can be afraid. We can be fearful for our kids. We can be fearful for our grandkids. We can, we can be the young parent, concerned. Oh, no, what is this world? Preserve me, O oh God. You, O oh Lord, are my refuge. This is not the psalm of perfect peace. Everything's just going perfectly. It's a psalm of presence in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the questions, in the midst of the uncertainty. God is my refuge. God will not abandon my soul to to Sheol, which is the grave. He has made known to you, Christian, the path of life. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. Joy jumps off the page in Psalm 16. And I submit to you that that's the difference that the Lord's presence makes in the life of the psalmist. And I ask us, how about us? Is that the difference that it makes in the life of the Christian today? And this presence, he is saying, is forever. What joy? What joy is that? Forever. Lastly, presence means present. (laughs) Okay, there you go. That's one of those moments at Trinity where you want to write that down and make sure you put my name with it. All right, you can quote me on that. Um, Presence means present. 
No, it's being redundant. I'm trying to say it means something. The Lord is present. And so we've got to do away with this fuzzy American Christianity that thinks, you know, I was born in America too. I was born in a Christian nation as if that were a thing. I'm a Christian. I grew up going to church. That makes me Christian. I can live the way I want to live, and I'm a Christian. Because, you know, I believe in God. Doesn't everybody? Well, not everybody. A lot of people believe in God. No, but is he your Lord? Is he your Lord? Is he who you run to? Do you have him? Is he present? Because presence means present. So you probably noticed I skipped verses three and four. We'll go back. Verse three, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. And so the text speaks to presence with God is not everyone's experience. Presence, presence doesn't necessarily mean present in everyone. That's what he's saying here. The presence of the Lord is not everyone's experience. There are those who run after the presence of another God. That's what he's speaking to. Watch closely what he's, what he's doing here, what he's saying. To the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones whom is all my delight. What a picture of delight. What a, what a joyful picture. It's a picture of joy. What joy you have this morning, follower of Christ. That in Christ, there's this delight and it's found in the community of believers. Fellow saints, in the land. But then there are those here and you're here this morning and you're following after, you're chasing after another God. And the text here is saying that your sorrows are multiplied. He says their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. He's, what, what he's saying is I'm not going there. There's no joy there. There's no hope there. There's no hope or joy found in the presence of other gods, is what he's saying. Only sorrow lives there. Have you found that to be true? Those of you who are here this morning, you're, maybe you're contemplating Christ. Maybe you're exploring. Maybe, maybe you've come because someone's invited you. Have you found it to be true that the chasing of other gods to, to be your source of refuge, have they not let you down? Have they not disappointed you? Have you not woken up from the drunken stupor and those same problems greet you? There's no joy there. Only sorrow that's multiplied is found there. Lastly, I think I already said lastly, but lastly, lastly, presence means gospel. And the worship team, you can join me. Presence means gospel. God created humanity in the garden from the beginning for presence. The presence of God. But what? Sin separates. And Adam and Eve were rightly cast out of the garden and cast out thus from the presence of the Lord. The rest of the story, 
in middle of Genesis 3 is the rest of the story. It is God restoring relationship. What? It is God bringing his presence to sinful man. Through his life, death, and resurrection, he created in the garden, he recreates on the cross. That's why we say you can be reborn. Or what do we say? Are you born again? Maybe you're here and you're wondering, what does that mean? This is what it means. It means you've come to Christ and he's given you a new life in him. And in so doing, he provides for you a renewed and restored nearness. He draws near to you. Christ came, Emmanuel, God with us, walked among us. Then he went to the cross. He was crucified, dying for our sins so that sinful man who had been separated from the garden on could be reunited, reconciled to God. And the dividing wall, Paul says to the Ephesians, the dividing wall of hostility, it's been broken down in Christ. Christ came. Christ accomplished that. Emmanuel, God with us. The separation was dealt with. This shows us God, who he is. Who is he? Oh, he's the redeemer. He's the reconciler. From before the beginning of time, it was his purpose to have a people. And that people are to be what? Near to him. You've been given his presence. That you and I might be near to him. Ed Welch writes, this has always been his intent and desire. He is close now. He does not need to be won over by religious efforts. And we don't need the feeling of God's closeness to be sure that he is. Indeed, close. You were created to be close to God and he has done it. I am with you is certainty. And it is a summary of all his promises to you. Ephesians 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, what? Have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. Hebrews 10, therefore, brothers, since we have the confidence to enter the holy places of the blood, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. I started the sermon by saying the presence of God is often something we neglect it. We, we, we skip over it. We assume it. We do all these things. Friends, it is the glory of glories that you have the presence of the Lord. The absolute glory of glories. That's why it's right for us to preach Psalm 16 again. And we'll do it again. And we'll do it again in these other Psalms as well. Let's stand together. Oh God, how do we respond? How do we even begin to respond that the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places for me, for us, Lord God? Well, Lord, this will be our attempt. We will lift our voices and we will sing. And in singing, we both sing in worship of you, but we also, it's, it's a cry. It's our prayer this morning, Lord. So hear our cry and receive our worship this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.